This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 60. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hello, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. One of the things that I love doing on the show is interviewing an industry insider, somebody that used to be part of the giant corporate machine, so to speak, whether it's a large bank or an insurance company, and then having them expose some of the tricks and tactics that those companies use to maximize their own profits. And then we can take that knowledge and use it for ourselves to save a lot of money every month or maybe use that knowledge to make more money ourselves by, for example, eliminating or minimizing fees, which we can then take and invest to actually grow our worth and and help us reach financial independence earlier. So today's guest is Laura McKay, who used to work as an actuary in the insurance industry. She saw the inefficiencies that were happening within the industry, as well as how Canadians were often pushed to take on larger insurance policies than they really needed, simply because the agents selling insurance would get paid more the larger the insurance policy was. And so it's interesting how the conflict of interest that we often talk about on the show within the investment industry is also prevalent in the insurance industry here in Canada. So just like how many financial advisors in Canada will recommend high fee mutual funds for their clients because that's what's the most profitable for their company and gives them that largest commission, in a similar way, many insurance agents also try to talk us Canadians into larger policies than we really need. So we end up overpaying every month and many try to talk us into permanent life insurance as well, which as Laura mentions in the interview are actually a bad choice for almost all Canadians. But of course, these are pushed hard because the commissions that the agents get on these types of insurance policies are very lucrative for them. So I'm very excited to have Laura on the show. She's now the co-founder and president of PolicyMe, which is a tool for Canadians that you can use for free to see how much insurance you actually need and to figure out if you are overpaying for insurance or if you're underinsured and taking on a lot of unnecessary risk in case something was to happen to you. So I've used it myself and what I liked was that after you use it, it'll tell you what you need and then it'll list what different insurance providers in Canada are charging for that insurance. So it's a way that you can really efficiently comparison shop, get multiple quotes and see if you're overpaying or if you're underinsured. And it saves you from that really horrible task of comparison shopping by having to reach out to insurance providers one by one, filling out one giant questionnaire after another for every single provider you want to quote from just to get some quotes. I've done it before. It's it's brutal. So filling out insurance forms is one of my least favorite things that I've ever had to do. So I'm really happy that we now have a comparison tool uh, in Canada, uh, you know, for us that we can use. So I definitely encourage you to try it out. Uh, I found it really useful. It is totally free and there's no obligation to buy or or choose anybody's quote that they pull for you, nothing like that. So at the very least, you'll know what you should have in terms of insurance and you'll know if you're overpaying or if you're way underinsured and are taking a lot of unnecessary risk. That's actually putting potentially putting your spouse and your kids at risk too. So uh, I made an easy link that you can use to use the tool for free. It's over at Build wealth canada.ca slash insurance so the link again is build wealth canada.ca slash insurance and that's going to take you right to that tool and you can enter you know the variables and then it'll, it'll basically populate all that information specifically for you 
As usual, I want to give a big thanks before we get into the show to EQ Bank for sponsoring the show. I'm definitely still offering my guide for free on the top ETFs in Canada if you haven't picked it up already. And that's for anybody that opens up a free account with EQ using my link specifically. So what's interesting is that for the past long while, any new money that I would normally put in a bond ETF for that fixed income safe portion of my portfolio, I've actually been putting it into my EQ account. Because with the current interest rate environment that we're in, the returns that I get from my EQ Savings Plus account are actually higher than what my favorite bond ETF is generating. So for example, a really popular bond ETF in Canada and one that I really like has the ticker ZAG, so ZAG. And at the time of this recording, it's bringing in 2.23%. And you can find this if, if you want to look up these stats, you can find it by looking at its weighted average yield to maturity, which is what you should look at when you're trying to anticipate the returns you can expect from a bond ETF at the time. All right. So in this case, the bond ETF is actually expected to bring in 2.23%, which is actually less than what EQ is offering at 2.3%. And then also with the bond ETF, that return isn't guaranteed at all, whereas the 2.3% that you get from EQ is guaranteed and it's automatically insured by the government through CDIC insurance, whereas bond ETFs are not secured by CDIC insurance. So, you know, the other big factor is that bond ETFs fluctuate with interest rates. So if interest rates in Canada were to increase from the historical lows that we're at right now, then the value of your bond ETFs would actually drop. Whereas with EQ, the amount you put in is guaranteed to never go down at all and is actually automatically secured by our government through CDIC insurance, like I said. So for me personally, EQ has actually been the better fit for any new money that I earn that I want to keep ultra safe, secure, and guaranteed, as opposed to doing sort of that traditional approach where I would use the money to buy a bond ETF because then I have to worry about interest rates going up and my investments dropping value. Uh, None of my bond returns would actually be guaranteed. And despite taking on that risk with a bond ETF, my returns are actually projected to be lower than if I just went with an EQ Savings Plus account. So typically, you can expect to get high returns by taking on more risk slash volatility. But in this case, because of the interest rate environment that we're in, you're taking on that interest rate risk with bond ETFs and are actually expected to earn less. Um, So I'm definitely not saying that you should totally write off bonds and your entire investment portfolio as they do have other uses too, like helping you with rebalancing during corrections. You know, but for me personally, I found the Savings Plus Account 3Q to be an excellent fit for money that I want to keep 100% secure, guaranteed, and really easily accessible. Um, So I've been using them for years, uh, as you know, if you're a long-time listener of the show, and this is even before they became a sponsor of the show. And, you know, the big reason is that they have one of the highest interest savings rates in Canada. They're currently at 2.3%, like I said, which is more than double what the major banks are offering. And it's also free to sign up and keep an account with them. So you're not paying a monthly fee like you do with many of the other banks out there. And you get unlimited transactions, which is awesome for day-to-day banking. You don't have to worry about hitting some limit and then being charged you know, per transaction. Uh, you get unlimited interact e-transfers, which is obviously awesome for sending money. And you can take out your money at any time if you need it. There is no minimum balances or anything like that. Uh, so that's that's actually why I've been using them instead of a GIC as well, because I like having access to my money instead of it being locked in for a set period of time through a GIC. So that's just my kind of personal preference. Um, so because of those reasons, I've been with them ever since they launched in Canada years ago, and it's where I keep my entire emergency fund, spending money, and that ultra safe portion of my portfolio as well. Basically, just about everything of mine that isn't being invested in ETFs goes directly into my EQ bank account to earn me that high interest. So if you want to get the free high interest account and my free guide on the top ETFs in Canada, just go to buildwealthcanada.com 
build.ca slash EQ. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter E and the letter Q. Open the free account and once you're done, forward an email that you get from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll send you the full comprehensive guide I made for free. So that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ to open the account. Then forward me any email from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll email you the free in-depth guide. All right, so enjoy. Thanks for supporting the show by going through that link. And now let's get into the episode. Okay, Laura, welcome. Great, thanks for having me here today. So Laura, to kick things off, can you tell us a bit about your story and experience as an insider in the insurance industry and what caused you to leave that sort of standard insurance career path behind? Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is actually in actuarial science. Uh, I pursued an actuarial science degree at Waterloo based uh, back in 2008. And after graduating, I actually moved to New York to join a company called Oliver Wyman, which is a management consulting firm. And there I spent my time with very big companies, including a lot of uh, big life insurance companies, um, to work with them to kind of solve some of their problems that they were facing, including, you know, growth strategies or operational issues or regulatory issues. Uh, And it was in my time there working with big uh, insurance companies that I realized that as a whole, the life insurance industry is just way behind other verticals in the financial services space. Um, so if, if I'm not sure if you went through this, but getting insured today is kind of an awful customer yes. experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, on, my, on my to-do list, I've had, you know, look up car insurance quotes because yeah. you know, it's good to get new ones every once in a while just to yeah. make sure yours is still competitive. Yeah. And that's been on my to-do list for, I don't know, like I'm embarrassed to say how long because it's yeah. such a pain. Yeah. It's a lot of people's to-do list. <laughs> uh, it involves, you know, finding a broker, probably having multiple face-to-face interactions with them to get advice on what product makes sense for you. It involves lots of paperwork and um, kind of almost 12 to 16 weeks to finish the process end-to-end. Uh, And, you know, myself and my co-founders looked at the situation and said, there's got to be an easier way. And that is kind of how Policy Me was born. So we started Policy Me about two years ago. Um, uh, And it's a platform with a mission to basically make it more affordable and easier for people to get the protection for the people that they love. So we use kind of modern technology to provide an easy way to get smart, honest, unbiased, and personalized advice on, one, whether or not you even need life insurance, and if you do, what product makes sense for you. Um, all of that can be done in kind of five minutes online. And then once once we give users a recommendation, we help them compare quotes and policies um, from the big uh, trusted players in the industry uh, and, and, and help them actually apply online as well. So saving them money and, and hassle along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I like interviewing people like you because you were an insider in the industry sort of in that traditional sense. And so you've got a first taste uh, kind of glance at the different sort of, you know, tricks and such that companies use to try to squeeze as much money as they can out of out of um, their clients, essentially. And so you kind of know what sort of common, you know, sales pitches are that people, that Canadians are being pitched. And even though that may not necessarily be the, you know, the best answer for them, but it's the best answer for the salesperson because they get a, the better commission. So, you know, one of the most common tricks that I've seen insurance providers use over the years is just making it sound like everybody needs life insurance 
no matter what. Uh, and what I found different about uh, you guys, just you know, going through side and reading all the kind of content you have on there, is that you actually do a great job explaining why not everyone needs insurance. So can you take us through what kind of a person or family would need life insurance and who actually wouldn't need life insurance? And also, let's say you know we need it now. Well, down the road, maybe we don't need it anymore. So when can we actually get rid of it to save some extra money every single month? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we're very focused on giving kind of best interest advice to our customers and our users. Uh, And that actually involves turning some people away sometimes, which uh, most of the industry would be shocked by this behavior because I I doubt you'd find many brokers where if a customer walked into their office, they would say, you know what, come back in a couple of years uh, when you actually need it. Um, So let's start with the people who actually need life insurance and the, the core purpose of life insurance. So if you have a partner or children or aging parents who depend on you for financial support, um, so you depend on your monthly income in order to maintain their lifestyle, uh, it's smart to buy life insurance because uh, it makes sure that they have some sort of financial safety net if your income is no longer there. So for example, let's take kind of a newly married couple who just bought a house you borrowed money to pay for that house, and now you owe monthly mortgage payments. And it is likely that when you were assessing kind of your ability to pay those mortgage payments, you were thinking about both your incomes, right? Uh, And the the situation, if, if one person's income is no longer there to pay those monthly mortgage payments, you'd leave your partner in a pretty a pretty difficult situation where they they may not be able to make those mortgage payments anymore and in the worst case scenario could actually lose lose the house if something happened to you. So life insurance is is there to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And for that situation, life insurance makes sense. But who kind of let's talk about now who doesn't need life insurance. In general, our view is that if you're single and you don't have children or anyone who's depending on you uh, financially, you probably don't need life insurance. And and that's because if your income was no longer there, um, there would be no one out there who would uh, kind of face a financial burden uh, if that income wasn't there to support them anymore, right? Uh, And so it seems kind of simple enough. Uh, But what you may be thinking is, well, you know, I'm planning on having a family one day or I'm planning on having children one day. And I know that if kind of like my health deteriorates before then, you know, it may be more difficult for me to get life insurance or it may be more expensive for me to get life insurance. Uh, What do I do in that situation? Uh, Do you need life insurance then? it's a tough one. If you are very, very risk averse, you might be someone who says, you know what, I'm just going to get it now just in case. Um, But generally our view is that buying life insurance before you actually need it isn't the best way to spend your money. At this point, you should probably be kind of paying off debts or saving for retirement or building an emergency fund. Um, That's a much better use of kind of your finances right now than having life insurance for some future risk that you don't even know you'll have yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one group of people who don't need life insurance. And then at the other end of this spectrum, there's a second group of people who are no longer making an income. So, uh, you know, at some point in your life, most people tend to retire. And at that point, they no longer make an a monthly income from, from any employer. So they don't have a salary anymore. 
and think about that. So if you no longer have a salary, if if you passed away, you know, you're at a point where you and your family are living off either a pension or your savings in order to maintain your monthly uh, lifestyle. And if you were to pass away, your family would still have those savings or that pension in order to pay their monthly expenses. And uh, they would have one less person in the family who is kind of has monthly expenses. So um, that's another end of the spectrum where we don't recommend life insurance. Really, life insurance is for those years in your kind of 30s and 40s and 50s when your debts are at your highest and your children are pretty young. Outside of those brackets, it, it probably doesn't make as much sense to get life insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see one argument being for someone that, let's say, is just a couple, no kids, they bought a house and they say, oh, well, I'll just sell it if my partner dies and be done with it. So maybe I don't need insurance in that case. But I guess I can see that going badly too, because if you do it that way, then you're pretty much forced to sell the house. So what if you know the market, the, the real estate market is slumping at that point? What if mm-hmm. it's not really ideal time to save uh, to sell a house? And then also, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, for anybody that's tried to cancel their mortgage before, you know, the the fees uh, to cancel your mortgage is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars easily uh, from yeah. from the ones I've seen. So it's not as easy of a thing to just say. Oh, I'll just sell my house and I'll be fine. If my if if I you know my, my partner can just sell the house and I'll be fine, um, because yeah. that may not necessarily be be the case. Or you could be paying you know thousands and thousands, which is more than what the insurance would be. So yeah, um, yeah, it's very very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because that, that's one of the sort of tricks that I've seen some companies use is where they they approach younger people and say, okay, you need to get insurance right now because then it's going to be it's the the long young the younger you are the lower your rates are going to be and so the reasoning is well that's fine maybe i should lock in these low rates because mm-hmm. i guess they would be locked in for decades potentially right in that case right yeah so i've heard that too like lock in your rates when you're young and healthy uh I, I think there is some benefit to that, but the reality is if you're overpaying for coverage that you don't need for five years, it doesn't matter, you know, say it's $20 a month today and it's going to be $27 a month in five years. Well, right. you're paying $20 a month every month for five years that you don't actually need the coverage. So is that $7 difference really make up for it? Probably not. Uh, so it, it is one of the tricks that people try and use to get people in younger, but uh, we don't we don't necessarily recommend it to to our clients at all. Um, another trick I've heard is, you know, well, you should get a small life insurance policy today, uh, like twenty five thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, and then you know at least that's there uh, if if you need it later. Mm. But the the problem with that statement is that it's very difficult to actually increase your coverage later on. Um, and the reason for that is uh, insurance companies don't want to open up themselves up to kind of anti-selection that says, you know, uh, if they gave permission for everyone to increase their coverage at any point in time, obviously a lot of people would increase their coverage when they knew something about their health um, that that made them more at risk. So even if you buy $25,000 today, that doesn't give you uh, kind of any option to increase that to $500,000 in five years, you have to go through health underwriting anyway. So you're not really protecting that that risk of getting sick at all, in my opinion. In my view, the only way to fully do that is to buy a very large insurance policy today. Uh, and again, it's just it, it's it's a very expensive thing to do when you don't actually need that coverage yet. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So someone's single, no kids. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't have any sort of major debts that uh, they have that um, would be carried on to the, you know their family, for example, to deal with. Then it doesn't really make sense to for, for them to get the life insurance because they're no, no one's kind of worse off financially if if they pass away. And so why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. Um, That's yeah. The question you ask yourself, like, is someone going to be financially impacted um, by? by kind of the worst case scenario means no longer being here. Mm-hmm. Insurance is really a very selfless product. If you think about it, it's not for you. You're right. Never actually benefit from that, from that product. It's about the people around you who could be in a, in a worse financial situation if you were to pass away. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, you're saying in, in those cases, I mean, you're, if you don't actually need it, you're just better off doing TFSA, RSP, you're paying off debt, you're likely to get a better sort of return when you've crunched the numbers on your end um, than just kind of taking insurance that you don't even need yet uh, because maybe you'll need it one day. Um, Very very interesting. Now, one of the types of insurance that I see people get talked into uh, sometimes is permanent life insurance. So, you know, whole life insurance and universal life insurance, that that kind of fits into that permanent life insurance category for anybody that's not familiar. Um, But out of all the personal finance experts that I've ever talked to, I have yet to hear anybody actually recommend permanent life insurance unless of course they sell it in which case they always recommend it because they get a commission (laughs) so so that kind of got me thinking like here's this product that a lot of people are buying it's pitched a lot but i i have never i haven't really talked to anyone who is who's unbiased? Who doesn't have a horse in the race? Saying you should get it. So, um, you know, not everyone has heard of permanent life insurance. Can you talk about it a bit? Uh, how does that compare to term insurance? What are what can you tell us what each of them are and the pros and cons of each one? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's exactly right. You can kind of split life insurance products into two separate categories. One is term life insurance, and one is permanent life insurance. Uh, Term life insurance pays out a benefit to your beneficiaries only if you die within a specified time range. So typically, you buy a 10-year term life insurance product or a 20-year term life insurance product or even a 30-year term life insurance product. And so it covers you for those 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Permanent life insurance, on the other hand, um, pays out a benefit to your beneficiaries no matter when you pass away, uh, hence the name. It's there It's there for life. Uh, it also usually has an investment component built into it that offers a cash value. Um, and so the most well-known examples of permanent life insurance uh, products that people have probably heard of uh, is whole life insurance and then universal life insurance. Whole life insurance is a more plain vanilla type policy, while universal life insurance policies uh, are more kind of allow more flexibility in, in choosing which funds you'd like to invest in. Uh, but for kind of 95, 98% of people, uh, especially young families, term life insurance is definitely the way to go. And I'll walk you through some of the, kind of the reasons I believe that it's it, it, it offers a lot more pros um, and, and the permanent life insurance has a lot of cons to it. Uh, so first of all, term life insurance policies offer protection for the years that you kind of need it and goes away when you don't. Um, so as we talked about before, there's a point in everyone's life, and that's typically around retirement, but sometimes earlier, where their family 
no longer relies on their uh, regular in income to maintain their lifestyle. Um, so if you were to pass away, your family wouldn't uh, face that financial burden if anything were to happen to you. Um, and the good thing about this is that that time correlates uh, with the time where life insurance gets very expensive. So uh, obviously life insurance prices go up in your 60s and 70s. Uh, and, and term life insurance uh, policies allow you the flexibility to avoid some of those expensive, expensive years uh, of insurance. And, and that comes to the second point, which is price. Uh, so term life insurance policies on general are kind of six to ten times cheaper than oh. the than permanent life insurance uh, policies for the same coverage. So our average policy that we sell to our customers is about $30 a month. The, uh, the equivalent permanent life insurance, you'd be looking at $150 to $200 a month uh, easily. Wow. Uh, and for if you think about it, for most young families, like that's just not something when your debts are at your highest, you have young children, that's not it's not something that you can fit into your budget typically. For sure. Uh, I mean, that's money you could be putting into your TFSA or RSP as well. And it's it's interesting um, when you say it like that because it sounds like, okay, with a permanent life insurance, you're basically insuring yourself also for the later years of your life when you probably don't need insurance, yeah. life insurance anymore. And like it's a double whammy, it sounds like too, because it's also when it's the most expensive for you because your probability of, you know, of death is higher. So it's kind of like you're buying something now for your future self when you don't even need that thing anymore yeah. and it's going to be more expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can see why you're saying like, you know, high 90% of people, that's actually not a good fit for them. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and permanent life insurance policies come with very high lapse rates. So you see a lot of people that after three or four years watching kind of $200 come out of their account every month saying, oh, my God, this, this doesn't make sense. You know, like I can't afford this. And when you when you lapse early with a permanent life insurance policy, you're getting you're not getting much out of it. You really need to hold on to that policy for many many years before you see any increase in that cash value that would be kind of worth it for you. Um, and then the the other thing, and this this kind of correlates with that, is that there's just no flexibility with permanent life insurance policies. So term life insurance policies can be canceled at any time. You stop paying a premium the policy is canceled. Um, permanent life insurance policies come with a lot of surrender charges, administ administration fees. Like, I, it's just not a flexible product. You really need to kind of think of it as a long-term investment, and it's just hard to kind of find find the right fit for that product when there's a lot of other alternative saving vehicles out there that offer a lot more flexibility. Mm -hmm. So one of the phrases that's pretty common in the industry is kind of buy term and invest the rest. So use more common saving vehicles like TFSAs or RSPs to invest in. Don't don't invest through a permanent policy. Yeah, that that's been consistently the from when I like, like I said before I talked to people yeah. who don't sell life insurance but have expertise in it. And when I ask, well, what do you, what do you suggest? That's pretty much the advice I, I I consistently hear is insurance is for insurance. It's not for investing. So if you want to for your investing piece for investing for your retirement, that you know then use investments. You know like ETFs, index investing, that kind of a thing. Don't treat yeah. insurance as an investment vehicle because that's not uh, the optimum. At least from everybody that I've talked to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I so it's agree. interesting to hear you say the same thing for sure. <laughs> Hey guys, just wanted to do a quick intermission to let you know about a new free guide that I created on the top personal finance and investing tools available to Canadians. Now, these are tools and sites that I've personally used to help us achieve financial independence so that we could quit our jobs in our early 30s. And they're also the tools and resources that I use now to optimize and manage our finances and ensure that we're paying the lowest fees while getting solid returns on our investments. And really just to make sure that we don't have to go back and and get regular jobs anymore. So I'm giving this guide away for free to all Bullet Canada listeners. They've helped me out a lot. I think they're going to help you out a lot as well. So all you have to do is go to buildwealthcanada.com ca and enter your email at the top of the page so that I know where to send it. And that's it. And this will also add you to the Build Wealth Canada newsletter where you'll be informed of new free guides as they get released, as well as any giveaways that I have on the show. So as you've, if you're a long-time listener, you know that oftentimes you know, we'll have authors on the show who have written books around investing, personal finance. And so oftentimes I do giveaways of those books. So this is just a way for you to be informed and win some free signed copies for free. And it's also the best way to ask questions that you want answered on future episodes of the show and suggest what future guides you'd like me to build for you and the community as well. So enjoy the guide. I'm here if you have any questions and you can get all that by signing up for free over on the front page at buildwealthcanada.com. All right. So enjoy. And now back to the show. Now, one of the arguments that I've heard for permanent life insurance is that it invests some of that money that you pay them and then that money grows tax free. And so I can see this sounding pretty appealing to some people because it starts to sound a little bit like a TFSA, but obviously it's not a TFSA. So how is it different? How is that different than the TFSA? Yeah, so there's a few things. Uh, One, uh, the MERs or the management expense ratios are going to always be higher with um, universal life policies. They just are. (laughs) So it's a more expensive form of investing. Um, The second, you don't actually have the flexibility to take money out of the policy. So when you're actually taking money out of a permanent life insurance policy, you're taking out a loan against your cash value. Uh, so you're not actually taking out the cash value, you're taking a loan against it. And that comes with an interest rate, usually around 4%. Um, so another fee that uh, doesn't make it as attractive to a TFSA. Wow. Um, and the second thing is, uh, or the third thing is you actually don't have the same flexibility to choose which funds you want to invest in. You can only select from some kind of the few pre-approved funds that the insurance company already has. Right. Uh, so again, just... In general, I would say way, way less flexibility and way more expensive than uh, kind of TSSA, TFSAs. And so for a large amount of people who haven't maxed out um, TFSAs or RRSPs, like it, there's, they're, they're just not the permanent life insurance is not the vehicle to invest in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Do you know how the MER fees would compare to, let's say, you know, if you're comparing, let's say, low-cost ETFs or if you're using a robo-advisor, you know, how does that compare to the sort of things you would be, have your money Mm -hmm. in if you were on the permanent life insurance side? Yeah, so robo-advisor and ETFs are even bringing those fees down more than traditional investing. So um, the way I was comparing, it's going to be more expensive than traditional investing. So you're looking at much, much higher. Okay, so so you're saying like if we're looking at, because I know in Canada, sort of average MER for mutual funds in that sort of traditional investing category is like, you know, two, two and a half percent. So you're yeah. saying in this case, they, it's, it's, it would even be higher than that in mm-hmm. most cases? Yeah. 
Oh wow! Okay, that's that's wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. So I, I can see how you're basically paying much, much, much higher. You know, multiples of the fees you'd be paying with just investing yourself, and you're getting decreased flexibility. Um, and it's yeah. interesting what you said about how okay, if you get to pick where your investments go on the permanent life insurance side, they're all, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean obviously they're gonna let you pick their own products, right? Uh, that you can invest in, which yeah, now they're they taking those high fees. Funds. You have some flexibility, okay. but just not the same same amount of flexibility. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's kind of like, oh, you get some tax-free stuff. That's the benefit. But well, if your RSP and TFSA are maxed out, you're much better off using that because you can get that tax efficiency yeah. essentially and also pay ridiculously low fees. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like, don't forget about the fees just because you're getting something tax-free because the fees can be so significant. And um, and like the, the big part of the expensive part is that you're actually paying for the cost of insurance too and you might not need right. it, right? So right. Uh, with every permanent policy, you need to have some life insurance component to it. If you don't even have a protection need, then you're paying for that cost of insurance Right. Uh, when you wouldn't be, obviously, in kind of a TFSA. Interesting. So, yeah, it's, it sounds like one negative stacked on top of another. On top yeah. of another. So the, the, does permanent life insurance work for some people if, let's say, their RSP and TFSA are fully maxed out and they have some sort of unique maybe tax situation where it could make sense? Because you mentioned like, you know, 90-something percent of people, permanent life insurance is not a good fit. But, you know, who are who are these like 3% or whatever it is yeah. where it is a good fit? Uh, there, it, it's, you know, high net worth. Uh, folks can use it as a way to kind of find a tax-deficient vehicle to mm-hmm. save and to pass on inheritance. Uh, I would say that would be the small percentage of people that it may make sense for. It's a, it's a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. We're actually uh, kind of working on a life insurance, a permanent life insurance uh, advice module, which just would kind of give you more clarity around whether it made sense to hold on to your permanent life insurance plan or actually replace it. Definitely if you started putting money into a permanent life insurance product, it may not make sense to kind of get out of it at that right. point, given that you've already invested in it. But we're, we're starting to work through kind of our advice around that as well. Mm-hmm. It gets fairly complicated, but uh, I think we can, I think we can come up with something that can be fairly user-friendly. Yeah, that's I can say that being quite the challenge for the programmers because you have all these different uh, basically insurance companies and they all have their own sort of products. And so now yeah. you have to pretty much build a calculator to factor all those different variables in and decide, and okay, how sure. much you've already put in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. To make it worthwhile. So <laughs> I don't envy you guys. Uh, yeah. and I'm coming up with how to calculate that. That's, that's a tough one yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, and then, yeah, one of the um, tricks that I've noticed uh, as well that you, you talk about on your site is how many insurance providers use this X times income rule. Uh, can mm-hmm. you explain what that is to everyone and how can you, and basically how, with this rule, you can actually end up paying uh, for far more insurance than you really need. Yeah, happy to. Uh, so, yeah, the X time income rule is just a rule of thumb that you would use saying, like, if you make $70,000 a year, uh, let's say, let's multiply that by 10. And um, on average, you should about have about $700,000 right. coverage for your family. And a lot of people buy into that. But let me give you two examples where I think it'll be clear why that rule of thumb makes no sense. So think of kind of person A, um, they make 70000 a year. Uh, they have a spouse that doesn't work. 
um, they don't have much savings, and uh, through their employer, they don't really have any life insurance benefits. You know, typically employers will maybe give you kind of one-time salary or two-time salary of life insurance benefits through your uh, employee benefits program. But for this person, person A, no benefits uh, through their employer. Maybe they're self-employed uh, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Person B, um, again, makes $70,000 a year, but this person is married uh, and they have a spouse who makes the same amount of them. So their spouse makes 70000 a year as well. Um, they've managed to save up kind of $100,000 to $200,000 in their tax-free savings accounts. Uh, and they also get uh, a very generous benefit through their employer, maybe two or three times their income in life insurance already. Um the 10 times income rule is going to tell those two situations that you need the same amount of life insurance. Mm. The, the argument is that is not the case. Obviously, right. person A, uh, their spouse who doesn't work, where they don't have much savings, is going to be in a, a very difficult place uh, if, if, uh, if, if the main breadwinner in the family were to pass away. Person B, you could probably look at that financial situation and wonder if they even need more life insurance than they actually have. Maybe the employer uh, benefits is enough to get that family through uh, uh, with with losing uh, someone the the other spouse who's who's uh, who's making a seventy thousand dollar income per year. Uh, so I, that's why I, I kind of hate that ten times <laughs> income rule because I think it's it's way too generalized and it, it doesn't take into account kind of your spouse's income, your savings, your existing life insurance, which all should factor into whether you actually have a life insurance need or not. Um, so in this case, my guess is person B could save a lot on life insurance. Uh, uh, by just looking at that situation and say, you know what, I don't need 700000 Maybe mm-hmm. I need a little top-up or something like that, but I, by no means should I get a large life insurance policy. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised when I read that on, on your site about how insurance companies, some of them use this this approach because it just seems so so arbitrary. Like, let's just assume you need all of your income and let's not look at anything else. You know, yeah. like, like, like it's a fast rule, someone can just... I, I guess, I don't know, maybe they just do that to save time and they've probably... They know yeah. it's going to create a big number, which they get more commission from yeah. probably. So, yeah. <laughs> Our view is it typically creates a big number. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. <laughs> and even worse, it doesn't factor in like the term length. Like, should you get $700,000 for 10 years? Should right. you get it for 20 years? Like, uh, it doesn't even factor that recommendation in. Uh, so it's just very arbitrary. And yeah. I, I would say it's it's not a good idea to use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You think of your life insurance. Yeah, because I mean, if someone has a lifestyle where, let's say, they're, them and they have a spouse and they're living on only one one other salaries, let's say, then I mean, they have a they could have a huge buffer, right? And that's a very different situation than a couple living basically, you know, just barely like living paycheck to paycheck, let's say, right? So both salaries could be the same, but totally different lifestyle, totally different expenses. I mean, yeah, you can't just simplify it to that level. That sounds ridiculous, yeah. but but I can see how you know, as a as a if you know if you're an insurance salesperson, I can see that being attractive because it's like, oh, let's get a quote together really really fast, and we know it's going to be a high amount, and that means I'm going to be maximizing my commission. So it's I can see it being like a nice efficient uh, sales yeah. tool, essentially, right? But it's like you can't just look at one little thing. That sounds that, yeah. that seems ridiculous. Um, Life insurance commissions are tied to premium, which creates a lot of negative incentives yeah. 
industry. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Like I, see, I see, I'm seeing comparisons, you know, to sort of the, you know, mutual fund industry in yeah. Canada, things like that, right? Where the yeah. compensation structure is done in such a way where you're going to get pushed things not because it's necessarily the best choice for you but because that's going to get give the agent or whoever the most the most commission so um yeah that's why i'm glad like i love having sort of insiders like you on the show because then we sort of can you know peel back the curtain a little bit and see okay how does this industry actually work in terms of compensation because that can drive the advice a lot of the time and you want to make sure you're obviously getting good advice and doing your due diligence um, as well. Mm-hmm. So um, no, that's great. Now, uh, you know, switching gears a little bit, there's obviously a lot of things that you know we can control that impact how much we pay for insurance, like our age, for example. You know, yeah. but but uh, there are some things that we can control that can lower our rates. So can you talk about just sort of some practical, you know, things that are actually within our control as Canadians that we can use to lower our rates? Yeah. So unfortunately, there aren't too many ways in the system where you can kind of get a cheaper rate today. Uh, And so if you have a coverage need today, you kind of have to base it off your current health style and lifestyle in order to get your rate. But what a lot of people don't know is that if if your lifestyle or health changes over time, you can always go back to your insurer and reassess the price that was given to you early on. And and there's kind of two examples of this. So the first is smokers. Um, So unfortunately for smokers today, um, your prices for life insurance are about two to three times non-smokers. Wow. Um, The reason for this is that smoking impacts your mortality uh, and you have a higher chance of passing away if you're a smoker and and, and insurance companies charge you for that. But all insurance companies have um, kind of a feature or rule um, that says that if you ever stop smoking for a 12-month time, you can go back and ask for non-smoking rates. And I think a lot of smokers just didn't know that. You know, at some point you bought life insurance when you were a smoker, you got tied into these smoking rates. The good thing is uh, after 12 months of not smoking, you can go ahead and get those rates uh, decreased, which is great. Hmm. Uh, The other example I give you is diabetics. So contrary to what most people think, uh, if you were diagnosed with diabetes like three weeks ago, uh, you are going to have much higher rates than than if you were living with diabetes for 10 years, where those diabetes was kind of, you showed signs that it was well controlled. And that's because insurance companies say, okay, it was only diagnosed three weeks ago. We don't have a history of treatment or control. And thus that scares us a little bit because we don't know what that risk looks like. But if you go kind of five years, 10 years down the line and you say, you know what, I have a history of very well controlled diabetes, you're likely going to be able to get those prices dropped quite a bit um, because the risk has gone down. You've proved to your insurance company that you kind of uh, are exercising good treatment and control. And thus, uh, you should go. You should always go back to your insurance company and say, okay, can you reassess based on my latest health? So that is one of the, I would say, tricks that most people don't know is that you can always go back to your insurance company after your health changes, um, after you've lost some weight, after you lost, uh, you quit smoking to get uh, your initial high premiums kind of decreased. Interesting. Uh, does mm-hmm. that apply to some other medical conditions? Like let's say you have some heart condition that happened or, you know, something of that nature, right? That can 
yeah. scare insurance companies. But then let's say 10 years down the line or five years or whatever, it's like, yeah. okay, clearly this is well under control. You know, is that, or like, like I don't know, cholesterol comes to mind, you know, things, like different yeah. kind of things that have been linked to premature death or, or yeah. you know, yeah. It's definitely a case by case basis, but all like treatment control, those are all very positive signs for an insurance company. Recent diagnosis is a very a, a red signal for right. insurance company. And, and that's just because they don't know what the risk looks like. They haven't seen kind of some years that have passed that has just shown that it wasn't as big of a risk as you might have thought. Right. But when it's been recent, uh, they t- it tends to scare them away. And sometimes they'll say, you know what, come back in 12 months uh, and let me know kind of how it's been going. And then I'll, I'll reassess that. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in those cases, does it make sense for the person to let, shop around as well to get different quotes at that point? Or is it not really yeah. worth it because their insurance, their existing insurance company has sort of that history and so they're not going to be able to get as good of a deal with like another provider, let's say? Yeah, so um, insurance companies all you share information. Uh, and so what that prevents is from you kind of applying at one insurance company, getting declined, going to another insurance company, getting declined, and getting to a third insurance company, and maybe them not seeing something that the other two saw, and then approving you. Uh, so they do share information amongst each other. So, I, I mean, there are certain cases where some insurance companies are just uh, um, a little more flexible on the risk than others. I heard this morning that, you know, uh, the average uh the average insurance company, if you have about seven cigars a year, they would consider you a smoker. Or Canna Life specifically, if you have a cigar a week, they would consider you non-smoker. Uh, I would think that that is a, a very specific situation. I think that doesn't exist too much. I think most insurance companies are fairly aligned in their underwriting standards and what they would see as a risk versus a non-risk. Uh, but it doesn't hurt. It uh, Usually what we would do with our clients is kind of look at uh, reinsurance companies as an opportunity. Reinsurance companies are kind of insurance for insurance companies, and they tend to have a little bit more risk tolerance with harder to insure cases. So that's one place we can kind of get you covered. The other place is there are simplified uh, products, which means that there are a little bit less coverage that you'd be eligible for, and they may have certain features that would say, you know, if you pass away within the first two years, you only get your premiums back, you don't get the full coverage amount. So they would be a a less attractive product, but they may be, they may work for you uh, given your current situation. So you have a few, a few alternatives, but my guess is more often than not, if you get a decision from one insurance company, it's going to be pretty similar across the board. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It just, I can see that it's in their best interest to do it that way so that people can kind of work the system and they, they maybe answer one question a bit differently on another questionnaire or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Going back to one of our earlier questions, you mentioned people getting insurance through their work and it being something, it can be something like two or three times their income. That seems kind of uh, kind of low, right? Would it be fair to say that for most people, the insurance, or for a lot of people, the insurance that they get through their work may not actually be enough? Because I can see some people saying, oh, well, I've got it through my work, through my benefits. And then they just kind of like, it's not even ever on their radar again, because they just assume they're covered sufficiently through their work. But when you mentioned two or three times income, that seems pretty, pretty low. Like if someone has a big mortgage and kids, I mean, I don't think that's gonna hold, right? 
Yeah, it typically isn't enough in those early years. And employers are pretty uh, uh, they pretty transparent about that. It's like you get this as a starter, but certainly that's not um, kind of the only protection you should have. So uh, in some cases, again, as I said, kind of if you're single or you're nearing retirement, it may be the right amount for you. But typically when you're at your years when you have the highest needs, when your children are young, and when uh, your kind of debt is at the highest with a mortgage, you know, 70 or even kind of $150,000 of coverage is not going to be enough mm. to get your family through uh, 20 years of not having your, your income contribute to the, the household finances. For sure. Yeah. Because I'm thinking something like someone has a house and let's say they have a you know, they're in an expensive area-ish and they have some principal, but let's say their mortgage is like $500,000 yeah. and let's say they make $100,000 a year. Well, okay, yeah. if they die, okay, you've got, you know, let's say 200000 300000 yeah. Okay, so, you're, so your family and kids are now still left with a mortgage. There's just not as yeah. much of it. But what about all the other stuff, right? Uh, like obviously there's more <laughs> expenses than just the mortgage. Yeah. Um, so that's like not even, I mean, it, it scratches the surface a bit, but it's not even close to, to getting yeah. what you would actually need. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I would say kind of two to three times is very at the high end. That's that's wow. a bit of a problem. You should really look into your insurance company or your your benefits. Some are a flat kind of twenty five thousand through work or fifty thousand through work. So just making the assumption that life insurance through work is enough is just not. Yeah. It's one of those other rule of thumbs that just don't make sense. For sure. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think you know people see that oh my employer covers it and they sort of have that mental checkbox in their head that okay yeah. I've got life insurance. My wife has insurance. We're, we're set, right? And it's like, well, yeah. what are the conditions? What are the amounts? What yeah. do we actually need kind of thing? Yeah, that can really uh, really change things. Um, no, very, very interesting. Um, now, if you're a couple, uh, what are the pros and cons of buying just one joint policy versus buying two individual policies? Yeah, so and this gets a bit complicated, so I'll go through all the options with you. So um, it first of all, if you're just looking at kind of applying together, Insurance companies typically offer some sort of discount for applying with your spouse, uh, and that can come in the form of kind of two to five dollars a month or something like that. If you think of every insurance company or every insurance policy today, it it can be split into two different costs. One is the cost of insurance, which is about ninety five percent of the cost, and then there's a, a small service fee that insurance companies provide or, or, or a policy fee that insurance companies add on. You can think of it as just a typical service fee. If you apply together, typically they'll, they'll only charge one service fee. So that's kind of mm -hmm. the 2 to $5 discount that I was talking about. But there's actually two other products that um, are built for couples. And that, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's called first to die or second to die policies. Um, and they're pretty self-explanatory, but I'll go through both of them. We'll start with the second to die policy. Um, so this would only pay out uh, on the passing of the second person in the partnership. Um, and so if you are a young couple looking to buy life insurance um, to protect against any uh, any future needs that, uh, of one person passing away, this policy doesn't work for you because it actually wouldn't 
it wouldn't kid. pay. <laughs> right, right. It wouldn't get kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where does come in handy, and the example I hear cited so most often is if you have a large estate tax that will be passed on to your children when uh, when the parents pass away. So think of you have a family cottage that cottage has appreciated in value quite a bit over your lifetime, uh, and you want to pass it along to your children. Uh, but they're going to have to pay a big estate tax uh, when you pass away uh, for that cottage. Uh, and but they want to hold on to the cottage, right? So they and they don't want to be in a situation that the the estate tax is high, too high that they wouldn't be able to hold on to the cottage. So sometimes people will buy the second to die life insurance policy um, for the exact amount of that estate tax in order to help their children pay that off. And, and ultimately keep the cottage if, if anything were or, or when eventually kind of their parents passed away. That makes sense. I mean, if it's something that's been passed on, let's say for yeah. generations or, or they want to kind of keep it in the family, yeah. you don't want your kids to be in a situation where they're forced to sell it because the estate taxes yeah. are so It, it makes yeah. no sense with real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the most kind of the most it's the scenario that most people can relate to the most <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding of, of how it all works with this estate tax in canada is that once let's say the second person dies so now you know let's let's say you know both people in a couple are now passed away mm-hmm. then it gets passed on but then that's sort of like triggered as a sale isn't it and from like a tax yeah. perspective and that's why even though it's even though it's passed on to the kids and they're not paying for it the government kind of wants its you know, wants this piece essentially of tax, yeah. right? And so that's why if the kids don't have tens and tens Money. of thousands of dollars, let's say, hanging around, I guess, then that's why, where this might make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. And, yeah. And then the first to die policy is the opposite. So uh, it will pass, it will pay off out when um, the first person dies. So this isn't a terrible policy by any means, but it's often not that much cheaper or sometimes not even cheaper at all than getting two individual policies. And I can I can explain why um, by giving you an example. So let's think through kind of a 10-year term life insurance policy that uh, people buy um, under for a couple. So both couples can either get um, two, two uh, both people in the couple can get um, either one first to die policy or they can get uh, two individual policies. And so let's think of the four scenarios that can happen during that 10 years. So the first and most likely scenario is that no one passes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so in that case, under under both policies, like you wouldn't get a payout, neither of them would pay out. Um, the second and third options are that one person in the couple passes away during those 10 years. In that case, uh, both policies would pay out one death benefit. Uh, so again, same outcome. Um, so it would be the same same cost for the insurance company. The fourth scenario is that both uh, people pass away during those 10 years. Um, and in that case, you would actually have a different outcome under both uh Scenario. So under the first to die policy, you would only get one payout. Under the uh, under the uh, two individual policies, you would get double the. Oh, death interesting. Care. Okay. So if you take kind of an expected value approach against each of those situations, there's a high probability that you won't. Neither of the couple passes away. Um, zero payout. You have. Uh, 
a pretty low probability that someone passes away, again, it would be the same expected value under both uh, policies. And then the fourth outcome is a very low, low probability that the insurance has, company has to pay out two death benefits. It doesn't end up costing too much more to just get two individual policies. Um, and it's a little bit cleaner uh, in terms of just you both have separate policies, meaning if someone wants to decrease one policy coverage amount, they can. If someone wants to cancel one side of the one of their policies, they can. So you, you gain a little flexibility by getting two individual policies versus the first to die policy mm -hmm. for very little cost. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And then yeah. an another trick I see some companies do is not telling us when we no longer need that higher coverage. And I mean, this makes sense from their end as obviously the larger the coverage, yeah. the more money they make from us. But in what cases should we actually lower our coverage as our life goes on? And, and what's the best process for doing so and figuring that out? Yeah, so I see life insurance as not kind of a set it and forget it type purchase. <laughs> Even though the companies um, would want you to think of it that way, right? Because then you're always yeah. paying these high premium, uh, the higher premiums. Yeah. Uh, so you should definitely reassess over time. The good thing, every life insurance policy allows you to decrease your coverage. No issue. You don't have to fully cancel the policy and buy a new one. You can just go ahead and ask for your coverage to be decreased. Uh, and so you should definitely take advantage of that over time if you see that, you know, it, your need is decreasing. So your your mortgage is, uh, is getting lower and lower over time. Your children are getting to a point where they're reaching financial independence, um, no longer relying on your income as much. You should definitely reassess at those stages in life uh, and see if you, you should decrease your coverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. something like kids out of the house or no mortgage anymore, or maybe your parents, maybe at one point they were dependent on you because they're older, but not anymore. Yeah. I guess something, things of that nature, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see your, your calculator being a good way to, the tool you guys have being a good way to sort of figure that out to say, okay, this is what it is, but now my life, this is what I have now, but my circumstances have changed. So you plug in those variables into your calculator and then it says, oh, actually, now you actually don't need as much anymore. And so you can save yeah. some some monthly payments. Yeah, so I guess it's easier to lower your coverage. It's more the increasing, like you said, that can be troublesome because then it sort of also raises a flag a little bit, I guess, for the insurance companies to say, well, why are you increasing it? Did you just find out you have some... Yeah. medical condition or, or something yeah. like that, right? So it can be a bit tougher. Yeah, so you can increase your coverage, but your your insurance company is definitely going to ask you some questions. Yeah, people. yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Understandably so, yeah. Now, yeah. under what conditions would someone's premium change? For example, let's say someone develops a, a heart problem, you know, or they become diabetic, let's say, but, but this happens after they've already become insured, right? So the policy signed, the deal is closed or covered. And then let's say, you know, five years later or two years later, they become diabetic, heart problem or something like that. Um, would it be adjusted now based on this new information or how does, how does that work? Yeah. No, it would not be adjusted. Okay. Um, yeah, so the whole point of life insurance is to provide peace of mind. And if, if you had to worry about your health deteriorating and no longer have the insurance, it, it probably wouldn't provide that. Right, right. Uh, and so basically you can think of life insurance as a contract that says, you know, if I'm getting a 30-year policy with you, Manulife, that is you promising me that I will pay $30 a month no matter what for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, and, and you'll promise to pay me that death benefit if I were to pass away, mm -hmm. no matter what happens in my life. So it doesn't matter if you start smoking 
three months after you get your life insurance. Oh, interesting. Okay. That was my follow up uh, question. Like, what if because yeah. it's something like a like a heart condition or something that's like, well, yeah, you should still it shouldn't increase, right? Because that was the deal you made that you're covered. Yeah. But for something smoking, where it's like this is clearly very much within your control, whether you start smoking a year after you got your policy. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying in that case, still, it would still be um, yeah. the same, eh? Well, you got to be careful of that. Is like, you don't want to lie on your insurance. You do have to declare whether you smoke today. Um, right. And it may be a tiny bit suspicious if you say, you know what? No, I, I started smoking the day after I bought life insurance. But I mean, like technically you can. <laughs> Interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah. I thought there so would be like some, some clause or something, right? Where it's like, you have to tell us under these, like if you, well, especially now, right? Like you mentioned the cigar example, right? Like someone starts smoking cigars, let's say. Like I, I imagine not too many people, you know, as they get older, they all of a sudden pick up smoking. I, I assume that's, yeah. that's that's rare. But I can see people doing like cigars or like now we have marijuana legal in Canada, right? So yeah. like what if someone takes that up and maybe that's linked to some, you know, yeah. like, but, but you're no, saying no, it no, wouldn't. No, there's no clauses in your policy that says you need to live a, a very safe lifestyle <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> and healthy lifestyle. You can go on and do whatever you want. We actually thought of uh, having a marketing campaign for existing customers around like things you can do now that you do have life <laughs> Like, go to Whistler and do that crazy off-trail skiing adventure. Go travel to all these countries that you would have been excluded from if, if you if you uh, had traveled to before, had plans to travel to before you bought life insurance. I don't think the our, our insurance partners would be too happy with us. If we oh, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time to get risky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that, now that you're covered. <laughs> yeah. Incentivizing super risky, like yeah. you're like you always wanted to jump out of a plane. Now's the time. Now, yeah, like, sure, you yeah, want yeah. to do it before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but truthfully, like yeah, that's totally that's totally fine. Interesting. Like you can go ahead and uh, change any of your lifestyle behaviors afterwards, and there's no point where an insurance company can come back and uh, and reassess uh, gotcha. your your premiums or anything like that um one thing is like if you do only buy a 10-year term policy or something like that if you do want to extend that term length later on uh you'll to get a, a good price you'll have to you'll have to go through medical and lifestyle underwriting again um but if you get a pretty long term length then the, yeah there's probably no interesting so someone with like a 30-year probably not much of an issue but if yeah. It's like a 10-year one and then all of a sudden, you know, and in that 10 years, you started skydiving and paragliding yeah. and smoking while you're paragliding yeah. and <laughs> or whatever. It's really expensive prices if you try it, try it, uh, keep, keep your life insurance. In Interesting. Because yeah. I've, I've heard of like even some athletes and, you know, where they would get some sort of really high insurance, uh, you know, like a Tiger Woods or something, you know, like those kinds of people and then but they can't do certain things or else it's against the policy, right? Um, but I'm guessing that th things like that, would that those things are laid out before the policy goes into effect because mm -hmm. I'm assuming in that case, the payout's very large for the insurance company. And so they that's where they place these conditions. We're like, fine, we'll cover you for this amount and we won't change the amount, yeah. but you can't go do these crazy yeah. things because you don't want to pay all that much money if you start doing yeah. crazy things. Is, is that correct? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Pretty uncommon, but I have seen, um, you know, pilots. Say you're a pilot uh, and you, you're an amateur pilot and insurance companies would say, you know what, we're going to exclude uh, a death by, like, if you get in a plane accident. Mm. 
Like, that's just something we can't really evaluate and we don't have a sense for in terms of kind of what the risk riskiness of that behavior is. Like, we don't know how good of a pilot you are. So we're going to exclude that from your policy. Okay, okay. Uh, and But you'll be covered for everything else except for any deaths uh, with a plane accident. Oh, or similar if you're you're someone who is kind of an amateur scuba diver and you're doing pretty dangerous kind of scuba diving missions, uh, you could have that a death in that scenario excluded from your policy. Uh, it's very uncommon though. It, it's 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 really you need to you need to be doing that on a very regular basis. Okay. Uh, and insurance companies if. Again, if you're not a regular scuba diver, they would never exclude that from your policy. It would only be people who kind of declared that, yeah, they, they go scuba diving once a month, uh, for a month every year uh, in these certain areas. And, and an insurance company looks at that and says, okay, that, that is a little bit riskier and we don't want to cover. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So all the disclosure basically happens in the beginning before the policy is signed. But yeah. once it's signed, it's a done deal. And then if there are any sort of exclusions, clauses, that kind of a thing, that happens in that initial sort of signing or of the policy. Um, very, yeah, that, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so even if you do develop something like a heart problem, diabetes, whatever the case may be, or you start smoking, I mean, do you... Should you even dis- do you even have to disclose such things to your insurance company after the fact? No. Not yeah. even. Okay. Okay. Like if you had forgotten about disclosing it. Oh yeah, that, that's different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like if no, you lied before, then yeah, you should probably tell them the truth. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but no, yeah, there's not there's not that open line of communication. The whole well, like life insurance is there to protect you against those diagnoses, right? right? That's the whole point of it, is saying, you know, there is a chance that you um die young because of a heart attack or another health condition or an accidental death, a car accident. And like, that's what we're here for. It's not so that we can pull kind of the rug from under you as soon as we hear about a diagnosis and say, yeah, no, not anymore. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, that's great. So you guys, like I mentioned already, you guys have a great tool calculator on your site and it calculates how much insurance we each need based on our specific circumstances. And then you have a price comparison tool too that I saw that shows sort of based on your answers, what are the prices across Canada, you know, from the different providers out there. So, I mean, I've used it myself. I was really impressed with how quick and easy it was because like we talked about before, my experience has been filling out these gigantic forms and it's just horrible. And so, you know, it saved me a lot of time from having to reach out to these different providers individually one by one just to get some quotes. I know uh, like when I have some free time, the last thing I, I want to spend with my kids, I don't want to be going on like five different insurance providers and filling out these gigantic <laughs> questionnaires. <laughs> so I found it really uh, useful. So I definitely encourage everyone, uh, you know, listening or watching to try it out. It, it is totally free. Uh, and you can do that over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash insurance. So that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash insurance. And that will take you right to that tool. Um, and I mean, at the very least, you'll get a sense if you're in the ballpark with how much insurance you actually need. And you'll know what it would actually cost across the many different providers across Canada. So, you know, I think a tool like that too, it's good to use every once in a while because maybe you're now overinsured and are actually overpaying each month. Like we kind of talked about this right after a while, maybe some variables have changed. Like maybe your mortgage is paid off or your kids are out of the house and, you know, you do want to get that, maybe lower your rate. Um, or maybe you're underinsured 
or not insured at all, and then you're sort of rolling the dice and and taking on that sort of way, you know, totally unnecessary risk uh, in case something happened to you. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I mean, thanks for building the tool. I, I really liked it. it. You know, the the link again is buildwealthcanada.ca/insurance. Uh, uh, can you tell us a bit more about that tool and and sort of what you factor in when you're making those recommendations on on how much we actually need? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. We're here to help support you and help you make informed decisions, whether that means you buy life insurance through us or through a broker. Uh, it's a good way. It's a free online tool that you can use just to get a second opinion on, on whether that's the right um, kind of product and coverage amount and term length for you. Um, so we use modern technology uh, to give you smart honest and personalized advice on one, whether or not you even need life insurance, and two, um, if you do, what the right uh, coverage amount and term length is for you. And we use a number of factors, uh, including household details, so um, kind of what your family looks like and what your finances look like to help predict how much money your family would need if your income was no longer available to support them and how long they'll need it, how long you'll need it for um, before they would be at a place where they were basically financially independent and, and probably could save uh, or support themselves through, through your savings. Uh, so yeah, I, I would encourage everyone to go online. Uh, it only takes about five minutes. It's very simple. Uh, and from there, you can actually compare prices from a number of insurers in the market. Uh, and if you would like, actually apply online like with us. And how many different providers do you guys uh, pull the prices from um, so that we can sort of, you know, shop around and see who's, who, who would charge us how much uh, for the yeah. policies? So it's constantly evolving. Right now, we have four providers on our platform. Um, they are some of the biggest brands uh, in the Canadian market, including Manulife uh, and BMO and Canada Protection Plan. So uh, there's a number of providers on there. What we look for when we onboard uh, life insurance companies to our platform is to make sure that their process after application actually aligns with our process and how we want to work with our customers. So uh, if they require uh, wet signatures, meaning that we'd have to send you an application, you'd have to sign it, send it back in the mail to us, like that is not, uh, that's not acceptable for us and mm -hmm. you won't be able to be on our platform in that case. So we're always looking for insurer partnerships that offer kind of a seamless uh, process after the application as well. And so we'll constantly kind of update the number of providers. Mm -hmm. on our website based on whether they meet those those conditions that's great and I, I assume you guys check to make sure they're sort of aligned with with the way you guys look at things so that it's not like someone does a term insurance and then the next day they get a call from you know the, the insurance company they got a quote from and they're getting pitched like permanent life insurance even though yeah. do you guys kind of look at those things as well yes yeah, so we, uh, we we don't kind of sell your phone number or anything to another broker. Like you're, you're going to work with, with our license life insurance. Oh, that's great. Okay. Life insurance policy from us. Yeah. So that's great. none of our advisors are commissioned. Um, so you don't have to worry or about them being incentivized to sell you higher products than you need. If you just have any questions about life insurance in general, and want to want to work with someone who's not going to be super salesy, like for sure, give us that's a call. That's great. I, I don't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah, we have a number of licensed life insurance advisors on staff, and those are the ones who are going to work with you through the process to get insured. 
That's great. I I don't know that you kind of yeah. that you'd work directly with you guys as opposed to the other provider because yeah. yeah I can see that being I mean that, that would be a concern I would have right is like okay I I use your tool I get the rates I submit and then now it's like you guys are gone and I'm just dealing with this provider no. and now that <laughs> provider you know maybe they got me in because they offered me some like low you know, rate like teaser kind of, you know, rate thing. Yeah. And then now they're like, oh, by the way, maybe you should consider this permanent life yeah. insurance policy, which is like, you know, multiple times more expensive. And it's that's like, well, actually, come on, I don't want to do that. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> that's actually one of the things we kind of hate about what's happened in this industry. Most of the uh, providers who have popped up online are, are just showing you a quote, but they're really selling your phone number yeah. and email to some face-to-face broker who uh, is going to sell you probably. <laughs> push something completely different than what you were looking at. Um, and so we stick by our recommendations. We also give you the flexibility to adjust our recommendations mm-hmm. and we'll stick to that in order, uh, in order, like, obviously if you're, if, if we think you're, you're really over insuring yourself, we might reach out and say, you know, are you sure you need this much uh, insurance? But if ultimately that that's what you want, that's what will help and support you through and applying with one of our insurance partners. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I like the little slider you guys had. So I, I filled out all my information and yeah. then they gave me the price and kind of the explanation. And then if I felt that I actually wanted more or less, I could kind of move that slider and then it would repopulate quotes from all these different providers to say, okay, well, if you lowered it, by this amount, this is how much you be paying a month now. So it's kind of nice because you get to sort of take your input, but if you feel differently, you can sort of modify it yourself a little bit and see how, like, oh, I can get this much more coverage and it's only this much more a month. So maybe that is worth it. And so it kind of lets you do a little sort of analysis on your end if you want to, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff. So I like to look at all the different scenarios. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was great. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you guys uh, that, you know, the anybody trying the tool they work with you guys directly as opposed to you guys just kind of yep. passing them off to someone that maybe just you know was trying to push you into some higher product that you don't even want so um so that's great laura i mean, I mean that's all i had thanks so much for coming on uh you know i'll be sure to link uh, you know to the tool and resources as well from you guys and uh, yeah thanks for sharing your knowledge with us it was a lot of fun definitely had a lot of fun okay awesome thanks bye All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out the free tool to see if you're overpaying on your insurance or if you're underinsured by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash insurance. And there you'll also see quotes from the different providers so you can comparison shop and make sure that you're not overpaying. Uh, So that link again, which will take you right to the tool is buildwealthcanada.ca slash insurance. Also, don't forget to get your free guide on the top ETFs in Canada if you haven't got it already where I go into detail on what I invest in and why. And to get that, just sign up for a free savings account with the bank that I use, which is EQ Bank, where they have one of the highest interest rates that I've been able to find in Canada, sometimes even more than double what the other banks are offering, especially the major banks from what I've seen. Plus, you get free unlimited Interact e-transfers, which is super convenient for sending money and unlimited transactions with no fees. So to get the guide, just sign up for EQ Savings Plus account using the link Build Wealth Canada dot ca slash eq that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter e and the letter q and then send me any confirmation email that you get from them over to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and i'll email you the full guide all right so thanks again for supporting the show in that way and for tuning in and have a great week Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 